Father's Day is a, always a little bit of a weird one for me. Uh, I, I read something the last couple of years. I looked it up again today. When you look at the, the amount of spending that takes place on holidays, Father's Day is way down that list. You know, there's uh, Christmas and then there's Mother's Day. And then I think Father's Day is like number 18 or something way down there. But you know what? I, I realize it's not because of the kids. It's normally our fault, fathers. Because how many of y'all, if you want a new tool or you need something, you just go get it, right? And so, you know, this week I picked up something I needed and Susan said, well, I guess that's a great Father's Day gift for you. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, something that I needed, right? I, uh, I thought we'd start out on a little bit of a light note. What do cheerleaders bring their dads for breakfast on Father's Day? Cheerios right? I had a great one for these guys up here on stage. What is a guitar player's favorite Italian food? Stromboli, right? Where do Cal, and I thought about the, the, the McKendrys for this one. Where do Cal families go on Father's Day? They go to the movies, right? That's a great one. And for you uh, techies out there, where do dads keep all of these bad dad jokes? In a database. Right? Now, this one was listed among dad jokes, but this is no joke. What is the best thing to give a new dad on Father's Day? A long nap. And that's not just for new dads. That's for any dad, especially dads that preach on Sunday morning. A long nap is a great thing to have. You know, Matthew talked about this just a little bit, and I, I wanted to touch on it. Father's Day evokes a lot of emotions. This morning, uh, and this doesn't always happen, but when I woke up this morning, I was thinking about Katie. Uh, and so for some of us, Father's Day, as fathers, we think about uh, maybe a child that we've lost. For some of us, we think about our failures and our shortcomings as dads, because you know what? None of us are perfect as dads. Some of us are grieving today because our dad is no longer with us because he's passed on and we can't celebrate with him. So like a lot of holidays, uh, Father's Day is one of those days that evokes a lot of emotions. But I wanted to but before we jump into the, to the message in Colossians today, I want to just speak a word of encouragement because here's the, the bottom line for us. Whether as a dad like me, you, you think about where you've fallen short or you failed, or maybe you, you didn't have a dad that was a believer or a dad that was uh, encouraging to you, and maybe you had a, an absent dad and, uh, that you struggle with uh, missing. The good news is that in Christ, when we come into a relationship with the living Lord, we are adopted into a new family. And, and in this new family, we've been given a father who is perfect. Paul speaks of this in Galatians. He also speaks of it in Romans chapter 8, where he says this, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We, as the children of God, those who put faith in Christ as our Savior, have the privilege of calling out to our Heavenly Father, Daddy, Father. You know, it seems almost kind of sacrilegious, but Scripture itself gives us that privilege when we become a child of God to call Him Daddy. And I'll be honest, there have been some times when I was really hurting. Maybe it was uh, during some of those times of loss. Maybe it was during some of those times of failure. I remember a couple times as pastor here going into our prayer room and just getting down on the floor and closing my eyes and saying, Daddy, I need you today. And having a sense of his presence with me, knowing that I have a heavenly father who in a very real way, and and look, I'm not being overly mystical, but it was as though I could sense his arms of love wrap around me, knowing that I was his. You, fathers, you who are hurting, you who have failed, kids who who struggle because maybe your dad wasn't everything that, that you think your dad ought to be, in Christ we have a heavenly father who is, who is perfect. And, and we get to walk in a relationship with him uh, for eternity from here on out. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get into Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Father, <laughs> we say that lightly, but you are our Father. Thank you that you adopted us. Thank you that you brought us into your family, that you love us with an unending love. You've given us the privilege of not only being called your children, but becoming heirs to the riches of your glorious kingdom. Thank you. For those of us that have failed and haven't been everything that we we wish we could have been as a father, thank you that we find forgiveness in you. Lord, I ask that as we look into your word today, come close to finishing out this letter to the Colossians, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, challenge us to be those people from today forward, to walk as you'd like for us to walk, as you've called us to walk, to be the men and women that you want us to be. We ask these things in your precious name, the precious name of our Savior Jesus, who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and tore open that, that veil that separates us from your holy presence. We come in his blood. Thank you, Father. I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is the second to last message from Colossians. We've been walking through this incredible book. And the majority, Colossians is not a long book. It's four chapters long, and the chapters are not very long. And so we've walked through this over the last several weeks. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and 2 have the most incredibly deep uh, theology. You get into chapter 3, and you have the application of that theology, uh, though it's not not application like this is exactly what you do today and this is exactly what you do tomorrow. The application of the theology there is, uh, if 
because of what Christ did, this is who you are in Christ, and this is how you are to walk in a relationship with Christ. We get to chapter 4, at the end of chapter 3, beginning chapter 4 last week, and we saw a little bit more direct application of how you ought to act at home and how you ought to live out your life in your workplace. And then chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, give us two specific directives from the Apostle Paul uh, before he closes out the letter. Uh, Next week, we'll be looking at his conclusion to the letter. Now, it's a long conclusion, and there's a lot of meat there, but uh, this is really the the ending of the letter before he gets to his final greetings, his salutation. So Colossians chapter 2, I mean, chapter 4, verses 2 down through verse 6. Short passage today. My wife has encouraged me not to promise a short sermon. Uh, She said, every time I do that, I get myself in trouble, and I I, uh, don't manage expectations well. So read with me Colossians 2, verses 4 through 6, or verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And before we dive too deeply into the text, I want to divide it out for you because when you read through this in English, the English divides this up in about four sentences. There's really only two sentences in the original Greek, and those sentences are uh, built around two imperatives, commands. And we talk about that a lot because oftentimes in these letters, we see Paul's directives and his commands, and and that kind of guides us in understanding how he's thinking. The first command is this, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, The second command is in verse 5, and it's the word that's translated in the CSB here, act wisely. You'll see it in other translations, uh, walk wisely. Uh, And we'll talk about that as we get there. So those are the two commands. So it's two main points, devote yourselves to prayer and walk wisely. The first one is, you're going to see Paul's specific focus. The second uh, has to do with how we especially respond to those that are outside of the faith. So look at verse verse 2 with me. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. His command here is to be devoted. The word can be translated to persist in or to adhere to. In fact, the the root of that word, the cognate of the word that's translated devote here is the same word for persevere. It's the idea that we persevere in something, that we're we're connected to, we're devoted to it, we're, we're staying on track to prayer. Paul's desire here is that we stay connected to our Heavenly Father, persevering in our prayer life. Every single day, every single moment, our lives ought in some way be connected to our Heavenly Father as we communicate with Him. Had a deacon in May that that he would talk about how as he walked through his day, he would shoot up arrow prayers. What he meant by that is is he he would see something, he would feel something, he would just shoot up a prayer to God. 
I'll let Matthew tell his full story at some point, but he shared a story with me a, a couple times of Dr. Jack McGorman. Uh, many of you have, have uh, heard of him. You've heard his name at least because his name's on the building in Southwestern. He was one of my professors when I was there who was an incredibly godly man who, if you could say anything about Dr. Jack McGorman, is he walks with God. He walked with God. And Matthew talked about how one day he had come in and Dr. McGorman was getting ready to go upstairs. And at that point, Dr. McGorman was in his nineties and he wasn't a very big man anyway. And he was frail and he was working his way up the stairs and he was talking to Matthew. But the whole time that he was walking, he was talking part of the time he was talking to Matthew, the rest of the time he was talking to the Lord out loud. Thank you, Lord, for these doors. You've opened yourself to these students that they might know you. Thank you, Lord, for all of the students that are here learning how to serve you. And he was just speaking and talking to the Lord as he walked. Now, whether we speak out loud or not, in fact, in our culture, a lot of times, if you're at work and you started talking out loud like that, people think you're nuts. But we can be in that, that kind of constant communication, persisting in prayer as we walk in a relationship with the Lord. There is a participle connected to this that is translated in our CSB, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And I want to spend just a little bit of time on that phrase because I think there's some important things that we can see here in this phrase. As he's called us to persevere in prayer, he's called us to do it staying alert with thanksgiving in it. Those are those are three different connected phrases. The word staying alert is a participle. Now, a participle, we generally translate with an I-N-G at the end, okay? So it would normally be translated, or oftentimes in English, we would translate it, devote yourselves, staying alert in it, in thanksgiving. It can be translated with thanksgiving. Bear with me for just a little bit here, because I think there's some some rich stuff here. As we are devote ourselves in prayer, we're doing it staying alert. Now, the translators here chose to take that participle and translate it as a command, giving the force of the imperative in, in verse 2 to that, that word alert, okay? But the idea here is all a connected thought, and that's what I want you to hear. These aren't two separate commands. It's not pray, okay, or, or devote yourself to prayer. It's not devote and stay alert. It's a connected thought. You are staying, uh, uh, you're, you're focusing on prayer, persevering in prayer, staying alert in thanksgiving. So it's going to be connected to, as you pray, you're always going to be praying with a heart of thanksgiving. Well, what about when I'm praying for those who are suffering? Even when we're, what if, what if I'm even in the midst of suffering in my own life? Am I still to be praying in thanksgiving? Yes, because regardless of where we are in this world, we are walking in a relationship with a living God who will be with us in the midst of everything. So when we persevere in prayer, we are remaining alert in thanksgiving. Now, I want to I look at one other phrase here in verse 2 that is important, and that is the phrase that's translated in it. The phrase is, is a generic phrase, and it, it's two Greek words that can be translated in it, but it's also connected to a, a personal pronoun. Oftentimes, that exact 
Same phrase. In Huti is translated in him. Gen and, and the reason, I know the reason the translators did not translate that in him here is because in the immediate context, this immediate verse, you don't have Paul speaking about who we are in Christ. Okay? You go back to earlier in chapter in, in, in Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2, where Paul was, was speaking about and, and building up and elevating Christ and all of those great glorious prayers and that hymn in, in Colossians chapter 1. You get to Colossians chapter 2, Paul's talking about who we are in Christ. In almost every one of those occasions, that, that phrase was translated in him. Now, what I would suggest here is that, that it may very well be appropriate for us to understand here that that phrase ought to be translated or could very well be understood as in him. There's more than one reason for that. Now, it's not something that is dogmatic, that, that, that is going to be the end of the world or, or the start of a new theology. But the idea here is that when we are devoting ourselves in prayer, we're in a communication with him, we're staying alert in thanksgiving in him. It, it could be that the that Paul meant we are staying alert in prayer with thanksgiving, but I believe it could very well mean, especially in the overall context, and this is where I would challenge you, pick up the, the, the letter to the Colossians and read it all in one setting. It's going to take you five minutes, okay? It's a letter. What we end up doing in, in, in something like this, we'll we'll preach through Colossians and take 10 or 12 weeks to do it because we're we're looking at each message that's there. But if you read it as a letter, I don't think it's far-fetched to understand that what Paul is calling us to is to persist in prayer, staying alert in Christ, because it's in Christ that we have our hope. It's in Christ that we have our, our salvation. It's in Christ that we have our, our relationship with God. It is in Christ where we have the opportunity to live and to walk every single day. It is in him that we find our hope of glory that we spent so much time talking about earlier in the text. In Christ. So persist in prayer. Staying alert in thanksgiving in him. And then he moved, we move to, to verse 3. At the same time, once again, this is not a new sentence. Uh, this sentence is connected to the command, devote yourselves in prayer. And so Paul basically says, all the while that you're devoting yourselves to prayer, staying alert in it in, in, or in him and thanksgiving, during that time, praying, in fact, this is another participle, praying also for us that God may open a door to us for the word. And once again, the translators chose to translate that participle praying with the force of the imperative. They, they, they place that command there, and that's completely appropriate in, in the way that we speak English. But the reason I'm, 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 I'm getting a little bit more Greeky on you today, I understand that, than I normally do. But there's a reason for that. All of this is connected to our persistence in prayer. And so as we persist in prayer and thanksgiving in a relationship with Christ, in that we are praying for the harvest, our specific call here. Paul is pers persisting in prayer, praying for us that God might open a door for us, so that God may open a door so that we can share the gospel. 
that God might open the door for us to speak the gospel, or here he says, let me deal with this word, to speak the mystery of Christ. If you've been with me the last few months as we've walked through Colossians, we spent a little bit of time talking about the, the Greek mysterion. And in Colossians, as well as in most of Paul's writing, in fact, almost every use of the Apostle Paul, when he speaks of the mystery, he's speaking of this gospel that has been revealed unto the nations. This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that Christ has come and he's given us life through, through the gospel. It is in Christ. And so there's a connection here to when he says, speak the mystery of Christ, what he's talking about is that he might have the words to declare the words to those who need to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Paul says, so that I may make it known as I should, because this is why I'm in chains. So there's four phrases there, and I don't need to spend a lot of time on each one of those four phrases. Let me summarize this for you. Paul is in prison. And in prison, he's, I'm sure he has little freedom, has some measure of freedom in, in prison as he writes to the Colossians, a little different than, than if he was chained in the, in the very bottom of a dungeon in a, in a torture situation. In the Roman prison, Paul's in, apparently he has a little bit of a freedom to, uh, to speak, to share the gospel. Friends can bring him food. Friends can bring him encouragement. We're going to see that at, in next week when we close out this letter. He asked for uh, someone to come and bring him some of his tablets. He asked for somebody to bring his coat. And so you see Paul uh, communicating to, to his friends from from prison. But here's what I want you to, to understand. Paul's in prison. He's wearing chains. And his prayer request, his one request that he asked of the church is that he might do a better job declaring the gospel. That speaks to me. Because if I'm in prison, and I'm writing a letter back to you, I'm probably going to be asking that you pray that I get out of here, that I be set free, especially if I've been in prison for preaching the gospel. It's not fair I'm in here. Why am I in prison for preaching the gospel? Pray that I get out of here. They're not being nice to me. Pray that these I'm released from these chains because that's generally the the where our heart tends to lie far too often our prayer has to be is very selfish and is focused on our comfort and our ease paul in prison understands that god put him in prison for a purpose while he's in prison he has a purpose and his purpose is to declare the gospel and so his request of the church while he's in prison, is that he might fulfill his purpose for being in prison, which he knows is to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, and the Colossians is the only place he does that. There's a companion letter that you're studying in our growth groups. In Ephesians, Ephesians is a companion letter to Colossians. We, 
both of them are being delivered from Paul's prison cell to these two churches at the same time that Onesimus is delivering the, the letter to Philemon. So those three letters being delivered back to the Laodicean Valley by a group of, of Paul's followers. So they're, they're closely connected companion letters. In, in Ephesus, in, in the book to the Ephesians, Paul gives a prayer request as well. And in that same, in that prayer request in Ephesians, he asks for the same thing. He asked that he, that he have the right words to be able to boldly proclaim the gospel while he's in prison. In neither place does he ask to be freed from prison. He asked the Lord to empower him to do what he's supposed to be doing while he is there. Now, let's bring that home to you and me because few of us in the United States today though it may be coming in a decade or two, it's already in Canada. And what I mean by that is few of us are going to be in prison for preaching the gospel. We did have some Canadian brothers that were in prison for preaching the gospel during COVID. There have been some that have been in prison for preaching the gospel for declaring that the Bible calls homosexuality a sin. Those, those, that kind of persecution, real persecution, Imprisonment may be coming at some point, but it's not here today. So none of us have been in prison for preaching the gospel, serving the Lord. Some of us might have been in prison, but it probably deserved, if, if we did, we deserve to be there, right? But some of us have been through hell in different ways in our lives. Some of you felt like you were imprisoned. Some of you felt like that, that you were going through incredible suffering because of how you were being treated by family members. Some of you felt like you're going through suffering because of uh, your employment circumstance, or some of you feel like you're going through horrible suffering because of your own health, your family's health. Our situation is we walk through a lot of difficult times with Katie being in the hospital days on end. And oftentimes what we do when we're in those circumstances, we ask our friends to pray for us that we might be delivered from those circumstances. Let me suggest an alternative. Maybe our first prayer ought to be, Lord, help me to be the man or woman of God that you want me to be in my circumstances. Lord, you have me here in this ICU room. Help me to boldly proclaim your word for those that are here, that need to hear it. Maybe it's another patient in the care facility or in the hospital. Maybe it's a nurse or a doctor. Lord, give me the ability and the strength and the words that I might proclaim you. Because maybe that's the reason I'm here. Somebody may need to hear it. Somebody here needs to know you, and you've brought me to these circumstances that I don't like, and maybe, Lord, that I would argue I don't deserve, you've brought me here for a purpose. With that in mind, here are these four phrases of Paul's prayer as I kind of put them in everyday language. Pray for us, pray for me, Paul says. God opens doors to speak the gospel, to fulfill my purpose in this suffering, that I might make the gospel clear. Pray for me as I'm going through suffering in these circumstances that God might open doors, give me the words, 
that I might fulfill my purpose here, that somebody might come to know Jesus. We never know why we find ourselves in the difficult position that we do. As I was studying that focal point of that passage and praying over it the last couple of days, I, of course, reflecting as a father on the last days of Katie's life. And one of the memories that I have is of a young man who uh, was a young man and he was a surgical tech who was taking care of Katie. In fact, when I took her down uh, the last few hours of her life, I took her down for a procedure. Hey, I talked to him and he had me fill out a piece of paperwork. Susan wasn't able to go down to the procedure room because Katie's bed, me, the nurse, and the tech were all that could fit in the the uh, elevator as it was going down. And so we go down and he had me fill out the paperwork. And you always have to sign off on, on they have all the horrible things on there that could happen, right? When you're having a procedure, you could, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this can happen. And I read through it real quickly and I looked at the tech and I said, well, it, you're, you're going in to relieve a clot. Uh, what if that clot comes loose and causes, you know, goes to your lungs, your heart, it, that's not on here. And he goes, well, that never happens in this kind of procedure. Well, that's exactly what happened. So after Katie passed away, uh, that tech came back up to, we were in one of those little family rooms, basically like a big closet, uh, grieving and, and trying to get everything taken care of before we were going to head back from Dallas to May. And uh, he came in with, with one of our uh, longtime doctors. Of course, the first time I'd ever seen him was right before he did that procedure. And we could tell he was uh, shaken. He was very physically shaken. And I don't remember exactly the words that she, that she spoke, but when he came in and, 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 and he basically told us he was sorry, Susan, my wife, who just lost her daughter, looked up to him and said, it's okay. And she said a few more words that I don't remember in that time of grieving, but what I saw was as she spoke to him, and I believe she said something about the Lord was, was with us, and hey, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I could see the weight being lifted off of his shoulder. So there in that instant, in that moment of time, as you're persisting in prayer, staying alert in thanksgiving in him, God will be able to use you. He'll open the doors and give you the words that you might plant a seed for him, that you might share his word. Paul's prayer request is that as you're persisting in prayer, Make sure that you're praying for the furtherance of the gospel, even where it doesn't look like it's fair or it doesn't look, it looks like it'd be, but it looks like we ought to be praying for relief from suffering. But God had a purpose for Paul in prison. And Paul's prayer request was that he might fulfill that in declaring the gospel. Devote yourselves to prayer. Second, walk in wisdom. Our translation translates this, uh, these two, these three words, act wisely. In the Greek, there's actually a word that means to walk in wisdom. And in fact, I told you there was another connection back to that Colossians 2, 6 passage that I referenced earlier. And, and this is it. Here in Colossians chapter 2, 
uh, verse 6, you see the same phrase. In fact, the same word walk used in Colossians 2, 6. The scripture says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Okay? And so that word walk uh, in him is the same word, the exact same word that's translated here, act, in act wisely. So the, the meaning is that, that you walk in wisdom. You're living your life out in wisdom. Uh, as you walk in a relationship with him, you're walking in wisdom, specifically toward outsiders. Now, maybe you might notice here, there's, there's two things he's told us to do. He's told us to pray, and he's told us to walk wisely. In prayer, in our prayer, a huge part of our focus in prayer had to do with spreading the gospel. It reminded me of Jesus when his one prayer request that he gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter, at the end of chapter 9, the beginning of, verse, of chapter 10, was pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers unto the harvest. Pray for the kingdom to expand through the spread of the gospel. Here, Paul is devoting yourselves to prayer, but as you're doing it, do it wisely, especially as you walk with outsiders, as you act toward outsiders, those who don't know Jesus. So part of our purpose, even in persisting in prayer, is the furtherance of the kingdom because we're to do so and then act wisely, walk wisely in our relationship with those who are outside the faith. In fact, the word that he uses there is just simply a a one word. It means those that are out of. They're outsiders. They're they're completely disconnected. You know, they're the lost. We've talked about this a lot. We look around our, our world and we see people doing stuff that we just think is just absolutely unfathomable. Uh, people accepting the lie for truth and, and calling the truth a lie and, 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 and making up all kinds of stuff, making up all kinds of genders and, and all of the stuff that we see in this world. We just look at that and we go, what, what's this craziness going on? Don't ever let it get by you that those who don't know Christ that are walking in the darkness, are lost. And how ought we expect lost people to act? They're going to act lost. Far too long, I think, we as Christians expect lost people to act saved. They're not going to do it. We need to understand that those who are outside the faith that don't know Christ should not be held to the standard and be, be required to walk as believers because they don't know the Christ that we know. We ought not expect them to see the truth that we see. And so he recognizes that they are on the outside. So in your relationship with outsiders, walk wisely, redeeming the time. Snapping up every opportunity that comes is really what that idea means. In your relationship with those who don't know the Lord, make the most of the time. When you have opportunity, to, to rub shoulders with those who don't know Jesus, show them Jesus. Don't waste a moment showing them something that's not him because they need Christ. Walk in wisdom, being careful in your speech. Now, this is like that first command. The command here is to act or to walk in wisdom. The word that he uses for speech is, is a participle that's connected back to that. Uh, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you should answer each person. There's three things here that I want you to see. 
in our speech toward one another, we need to be gracious, especially, especially here Paul is talking about to outsiders. Be gracious, show grace. When we understand the grace and mercy that our Heavenly Father has shown us, we should be driven to show grace and mercy to others, right? Where would I be if God didn't have mercy on me? Where would I be? If he didn't have mercy on me, I'd already be punished. Where would I be if God didn't show me grace? I wouldn't, there's no way I could claim the privilege of being a child of God. That is an act of his grace that he adopted me. I do not deserve to be called one of his children. None of us do. And if you think you deserve it, you think you've earned it, I'm going to say you're not one of his children because you can't earn it. Grace is a free gift given to only those who are willing to submit and surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus as Lord. And so in our relation, as we walk with and speak to those outside the faith, we're commanded to do it with grace. Now, Paul uses another phrase here where he says, season with salt. And I think it's important for us to touch on that for just a second, because what does it mean to be seasoned with salt? Salt's a preservative, but salt also adds flavor. So I think what, what some in the world want us to do today is to show love by agreeing with everything that they say is true. First of all, that's not true love. But that's certainly not grace seasoned with salt. See, sometimes a wound needs to have a little salt put in it to heal right. Now, modern medical technology doesn't use salt. I'm grateful that modern technology doesn't use mercurochrome anymore either. Well, those of you that are my age or a little bit older, you remember anytime you'd get a cut, mom or dad would put mercurochrome or iodine on it and uh, make sure that they'd kill whatever bugs were in there. I am certain that whatever bugs were there got killed with that stuff. It burned it out. I'm not talking about being so salty that you turn somebody off from the gospel. But I believe Paul's talking about being salty enough as you grace, as you show grace to those who are lost, you also help them see the truth. Because without the truth, without that seasoning of salt, without that seasoning of truth, they will never come to the truth. See, love is not accepting everything the world throws at us. Love is saying, I love you, but you need Jesus. Your hope is found in him. Love's not trying to get them to become Baptists, for God's sake. Love's trying to, love is helping people to see God's word and point them to Jesus. So with grace, our words need to be gracious but seasoned with salt and appropriate for that specific 
audience, those specific ears. He ends with saying, so that you may know how you should answer each person. How you share the gospel with somebody that's super close to you and how you share the gospel with somebody on the street, how you communicate with a, uh, a, a somebody that you're connecting with in a store or somebody that you're serving uh, is going to be different. And so Paul's, Paul is telling them, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, and be careful that it be appropriate for each individual person. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees a lot different than he spoke to the woman caught in adultery. They were all sinners. They all needed to hear the truth. But he spoke to them each in a different way. The Pharisees needed to be called out harshly. The woman who was called in adultery needed to be encouraged. He still told her, go and sin no more. Okay. But he did it with a, with a lot more grace than what the Pharisees got. Now, ultimately, we need to be wise in our speech that we answer each person according to where they are in their walk and in where they are in their relationship with us. So when you, when you boil it down and you come to the last big point here, Paul is calling us to have wisdom in our witness. And we do it in how we walk and how we talk. Sounds a lot like something he said before, in word and in deed. Paul is calling us to effectively share Christ and how we act toward outsiders and how we speak toward outsiders. So the, the big culmination as we come toward the end of, uh, of Paul's letter to the Colossians, next week's the greeting, and that, that takes a different tone. But the big culmination of what Paul's calling us to do, we have last week he tells us how we're to act at home. This week, he focuses in on how we walk in such a way with, with Christ that we're focused on the kingdom and that we're walking and speaking in a way that we can effectively reach those outside of the church body who need Jesus. Be wise in our witness, wise in how we act, wise in how we walk, wise in how we speak, that we might point others to Jesus. Colossians is an incredible, beautiful book, beautiful letter that focuses primarily on Jesus and his kingdom. You know, I know a lot of preaching today and a, a lot of folks today would, would like for scripture to focus a whole lot more on me and on what I need and what I want. But you know what? Colossians really does that because what I need is more Jesus, all right? And so as we persist in prayer, keep our eyes focused on, on fulfilling his kingdom, we will, we will walk in a relationship with him that is pleasing to him. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.